Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. Grab a cup of coffee and join Colleen Tinker and Nikki Stevenson as they discuss their life after Adventism. Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. I'm Nikki Stevenson. And I'm Colleen Tinker. Colleen, we are past Christmas now. How does it feel to be going into a new year? Wow. Well, what it feels like initially is I'm going to have to get those decorations down. Oh, yes. (laughs) That's always quite a day. Yeah, it's funny because I'm always very excited to get them up as yeah. soon as possible. But come New Year, I'm ready. Ready. I'm ready to get them back down. Yeah, isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, that's kind of where we are facing facing a new year with a clean house and pure heart and clean hands, hopefully. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I'm excited about what this year will bring with the podcast. You know, we have had some pretty unexpected things come up out of our no studies kidding. and our time together here. I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next. Me too. I did not expect to feel about Daniel like I feel now when we started this book. No, I mean either, but we're taking it back, aren't we? We are. <laughs> and I'm really excited about the fact that God really is clear with us. Mm-hmm. Not detailed, but clear. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty fun. So we're looking today at the first half of Daniel 10, Daniel 10, 1 to 9. And we have another vision that terrifies him Poor this, Daniel. in this first part of the book. And you know, it's kind of sad, although I guess sad is probably the wrong word. This man is old at this time. He's probably past 85, probably no longer in the in the service of the king, because we learned earlier that he served the king through the first year of Cyrus's life. And this vision is occurring the third year of Cyrus. So Daniel is apparently retired by now, but God's not done with him. And you know what I just have to say, by the way, it's a very big comfort to me that God decides when we retire and when we're done. Mm-hmm. He keeps bringing us His work as long as He wants to bring us His work, sustaining us as long as He wants to sustain us, and our job is to trust Him mm-hmm. and to do what He puts in front of us. Like, <laughs> Moses was 80 when he led the children of Israel into the wilderness. That's astonishing. Yeah, and he was there with them for another 40 years. Yeah. And when he went up to Mount Nebo to die, the Bible tells us his eyes were not dim and his strength was not waning. He was still full of vigor, but God took him. Wow. It's God who decides the course and the path of our life and gives us the work he prepared in advance for us to do, Ephesians 2.10. So I find that encouraging about this part of Daniel's life. You know, something else that's interesting along those lines is how we feel about our work doesn't always tell us if we're supposed to be doing it or not. Because over and again, Daniel is sapped of energy. He's mourning, he's struggling, but he perseveres and he's faithful. That's so true. And in this chapter, we're going to find out some of the little thought about reasons why that might partially be true, Mm. why there's that sapping of energy and discouragement. Why don't we start by your reading verses 1 to 9 of Daniel 10. Okay. Again, we use the NASB, the 1995 edition. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the message was true and one of great conflict, but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. 
On the twenty-fourth day of the first month, while I was by the bank of the great river, that is, Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face had the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of tumult. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Wow, poor Daniel. Although, blessed Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, Nikki, going back up, let's just walk our way through this. We look at verse 1. And could you just give us a little overview of the setting? I just find it amazing how much detail Daniel gives us in some of these things. Actually, it helps us know it's true. Mm-hmm. The details are confirmable. Mm-hmm. So, it says this is in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. We're done with the Babylon era, and now we have Persia ruling. And this is the fourth of the four visions that God gives to Daniel. And it happens about two years after the vision he had regarding the 70 weeks that we just recently covered. And at this time, Cyrus has already given the Jews permission to go back to Israel, but not many of them went. In fact, one of the sources I looked at said only about 42,360 returned. And that was based on some numbers taken out of the book of Ezra. We're thankful for Ezra and Nehemiah, which I didn't used to understand, were actually at the end of Daniel's life. Ezra and Nehemiah lived during the Persian times, and their recording of history of what happened to the Jews during the edicts from the Persian kings of the rebuilding, all of this happened at the end of the Old Testament period when Israel's going back to the land. And I didn't understand that about Ezra and Nehemiah. You know, they, Ezra was a scribe, Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king, and there are some people who actually believe, in fact, I think most scholars believe that Ezra and Nehemiah originally were one book, but it was divided up and given the names of the two people who were the key players for the Jews, apparently. Wow. But those two books record this part of Israel's history rather well, actually, and partly we discover in these books why it has been so important for Israel to keep such careful records, like if you read through Kings and Chronicles and you glaze over <laughs> with all the names of the people and their sons, when they come back to the land, that becomes necessary to know who's a true Jew, who's a true Levite, And if people don't have actual written proof of their lineage, they can't have the jobs that they might claim to be worthy to have. Mm -hmm. They have to show who they are. Israel has kept this hugely detailed record, and Ezra and Nehemiah are recording that here at the end of the empire. Okay, so that's just a little by the by, but it's related to where we are here. It's interesting, too, in this first verse, it's written in the third person, even though Daniel wrote it, it's almost like an introduction, and then Daniel begins to speak in the first person. Which is interesting that he does it that way. Mm -hmm. It also tells us something about Daniel's relationship and response to what he's about to see. What does it say right there in verse 1? 
the message was true and one of great conflict. And then it does say, but he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. And what's interesting is that's almost a summary of what we're about to go into because he doesn't begin understanding. It doesn't seem to. So it's not in conflict with what comes next. It's better, I think, to see it as a summary of what follows. I think so. And I think it's also interesting, we both discovered this in our study of this chapter, that chapters 10 through 12 are best considered as a unit. Mm -hmm. In all the previous chapters, there were themes, and it was clearly defined what themes were there. For example, Daniel 7 was the vision of big beasts. Mm-hmm. and so forth. The vision that Daniel's going to actually hear the details about is actually going to occur in Daniel 11. And then the summary of the far future is going to occur in Daniel 12. Daniel 10 through 12 is actually a unit that goes together. That was helpful for me to understand. Yeah, I didn't know that. And I read one commentator say that a lot of Christians don't spend enough time on these three chapters, and he suggested that they should be read in one sitting repeatedly. I think that's actually really smart. I saw that when I looked over the notes you sent me last night, Nikki, and I thought that's a really excellent insight from that commentator because it is a unit. We who grew up on proof texting know how easy it is to get tunnel vision with part of a passage. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting thing to think about. So in verse 2, Daniel gives us a little background into what he was going through at the time of this next revelation. And what was that? Leading up to this, he'd been mourning for three entire weeks. Yeah. And we've already mentioned some of the reasons that could possibly have been that they had not really had a very big response to go back to the land. I think it's interesting also that as we pursue this chapter, we're going to discover some of the behind the scenes reasons that response may have been low. Mm -hmm. And that was a new discovery for me with studying this chapter this week. It was also interesting to me to think about how old Daniel was at this time, because there was such a small number of Jews that went back, but Daniel wasn't among them. And I was trying to figure out why. And you had mentioned he would have been in his 90s probably by by now. Yeah, late 80s, 90-ish. That might have been a really difficult journey for him at that point. Perhaps that could be part of it. But we also discovered down a little bit further the date, the time that this was occurring at. And this falls in line with when they would have been celebrating the Passover. That's really interesting. So perhaps he had that on his mind, on his heart. They don't have Israel all put back together in Jerusalem to celebrate that, even though they have permission to go back. That's got to be disappointing. I don't know. We can only speculate, Mm -hmm. but these are interesting details to think about. Right. And for him to actually be mourning and fasting and praying, he's actually wanting to know something from God. Mm -hmm. And what do we uh, learn further in verse (laughs) 3? I really like this one. It says, I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until, I love that word, I do too. The entire three weeks were completed. So Daniel was not on the Daniel diet. (laughs) He ate meat, he drank wine, but he had been fasting for this time. Yes. All of those people that taught us that Daniel refused the king's meat in chapter one, look at this. This is the end of his life. And he's clearly been eating meat. And God has been using him Uh in amazing ways. Yes. Unique, completely. Nobody else has had the kinds of insights and revelations that Daniel got. 
The other thing that's interesting here is he didn't use any ointment. And I read that they used ointment because they couldn't bathe. So he went three weeks now without using any ointment. It's like not bathing for him. That's significant. It kind of seems like a sign of depression a little bit, doesn't it? It Although does. Although he's attaching it to the idea of his fasting. But people who don't bathe for extended periods of times often are so devoid of strength because of their emotional state. You know, you just wonder. Poor guy, he was suffering in some way. Yeah, well, he used the word mourning. It wasn't a show. It wasn't to manipulate God. His emotions were definitely involved here. And I'm thinking about these these men who were with him, they knew that Daniel was in this condition. If he ha- if he wasn't using ointment, they may not know what he is or isn't eating, but they right. know something's going on with oh, him. Oh, sure they do. Sure. Because that would also involve the state of his clothes, the state of his hair, his beard, his, you know, his whole appearance, mm-hmm. not to mention the smell. <laughs> <laughs> on the 24th of the first month, what happens? He has a vision. He's at the bank of the great river, that is Tigris, and he has a vision of this man standing over the the river. Before we talk about the appearance of this person who's standing over the river, what is significant about this date? This is right around the Passover. This is April 24 on our calendar. Right. And the year we've already established is some sources say 536, some say 535 or 534, but it's in that area based on the reign of Cyrus. One of the things one of the commentators I studied for this mentioned was this. Daniel was very precise. He specifically gave the dates. This is making it very hard for the critics of Daniel, who insist that this had to be written after the fact, because many liberal critics believe that you can't have this kind of accurate prophecy before the event. Mm -hmm. They don't want to acknowledge that God is revealing the future with this kind of detail. He is, and Daniel dates it, and he not only gives a date, but he gives a place and he gives the details. It's hard to discount that as evidence of authenticity. And they would say that all predictive prophecy is dishonest, correct? They, correct. they don't believe in it. Mm-hmm. The other thing that was interesting about this date is that there were two, actually two Jewish festivals that would have happened around this time, both the Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And those feasts commemorate God's taking Israel out of Egypt and bringing them out and making them his people. And so to have this fall right after they've been given permission to go back oh. and to have so few go... There are a lot of details here that can, I think, easily account for what's going on in Daniel. Right. You know, one thing I think is so interesting just about that Feast of Unleavened Bread, that is associated with the Feast of Pentecost, Hmm. which we really learn is significant in Acts 2 when Mm -hmm. it's fulfilled and the Holy (laughs) Spirit comes. But it is interesting that it's celebrated as part of the recognition of God making Israel his people, pulling them out of slavery, and then this is all being fulfilled in the new covenant reality of the Holy Spirit being given after Jesus's finished work on (laughs) earth. It's just fun to see those connections. Mm -hmm. He sees this person in verses 5 and 6, and how does he describe him? I think these descriptions are extremely significant because they help us figure out who he may be. Yeah, this is really interesting. So he says that there was a certain man dressed in linen, 
whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. His body also was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. Wow. So, Nikki, where else do we see a description similar to this that may help us identify this person? This is very similar to the way John describes Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. John writes, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. I think that's so interesting. There's some really specific things that connect this particular passage in Daniel with the one in Revelation. And I think one of the things is that his eyes are described as fire in Mm -hmm. both cases. He has fiery eyes, burnished bronze in his feet, and in Daniel it says even in his arms look like burnished bronze, and this loud roaring voice. Well, we know that the person in Revelation 1, 12 to 15, is whom? That's Jesus. That's the risen Christ, Mm -hmm. the one reigning over the churches, the one to whom all authority has been given. And he's revealing himself to John as the Lord of the churches, and he has messages for the churches in Revelation. That is the person, apparently, who appears here in Daniel. Now, I think it's important to mention not all commentators agree about this. Right. And it's because there's just enough of vagueness in the connections between this part of the vision and the explanation of the vision to follow that it's possible for people to think it might be the same person. But I think when you look closely at it, I agree with the commentators who believe it's two separate people. This is a separate appearance from the one that we see in the second half of the book. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not going to stake my firstborn on that. (laughs) But that's how it appears to me. And the very clear description is clear. And I think one of the things that's so interesting about this is that the person that appears in Revelation is the risen Christ, the glorified Christ. Mm -hmm. And he's appearing to Daniel in that same appearance. It's almost like Moses and Elijah saw the transfigured Christ on the mountain before Jesus died. They were given a glimpse of his true glory. And here is Daniel getting a vision that's going to span from the moment he's living in the early part of the Persian Empire. It's going to span the future of Israel until the very last part of history. And it's being introduced and given by the same person, the one who has conquered sin and death. That's what it appears like. It's really compelling to think that this is a Christophany, especially when you look at the context of these chapters that are written in Hebrew. These visions and these angels who are speaking to Daniel are talking about what's going to happen in the latter days. This is clearly a picture of the future for Israel, and it's scary. But there's a context here that takes his mind all the way to the end. And to have the risen Christ here appearing right before he's about to learn what's going to come next in chapter 11, it seems like a a mercy in a way. Mm -hmm. It does to me too. So in verse 7, what do we learn about Daniel and the men who are with him? This is another thing that I think is compelling when we're looking at who this first person is. 
It says, now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. That reaction, that response just takes me to Paul on the road to Damascus when he meets the risen Christ, and the people who are with him, they don't see him. They hear something, but they don't see him. Right. In fact, it says in Acts 9, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, although his eyes were opened and he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now, in this case, with Paul, his men heard a voice, but Mm -hmm. they didn't understand the words. In this case, in Daniel, his men don't even see the vision. There's a vision and they don't see it, but they're afraid. Yeah, they they feel dread and they actually run and hide. I mean, they physically respond to this feeling. Exactly. What does it suggest when somebody runs and hides from a manifestation of God? Well, it makes me think of how people respond to him in Revelation. You know, the ones who run into the mountains and and want the rocks to fall on them. There are those who belong to God, who love his coming, who love Mm -hmm. his appearing. And then there are those who are fearful of him and want him. It strikes me that it's the Holy Spirit who reveals the truth and the reality of who Jesus is. And for Daniel, he was a true believer. He was a faithful servant of God. And he understood that he was seeing a vision. I don't know if he understood it was the Messiah, but he understood that it was from God. It was the power of God. It was the revelation of God. And the men who were with him apparently didn't understand and trust God to the degree Daniel did, and they heard nothing, but Mm -hmm. they were afraid. And it is interesting to me, I don't know if I can draw any conclusions from this, but it's interesting to me that in this first part of the chapter where this being appears to Daniel, he never tells Daniel, do not be afraid. Mm -hmm. And Daniel has a bit of a fear reaction to him. Angels generally say, don't be afraid, and we're going to see that in the second half. But in this case, he doesn't say, don't be afraid. As soon as Daniel hears this voice of this certain person, what happens to him? So his friends left him and then he was zapped of his strength. He had no strength left in him. His natural color turned to a deathly pallor and he retained no strength. He went to the ground. I mean, he, yeah, he Mm -hmm. went limp and, and this has happened to him before poor guy in Daniel 7, 28, he says, at this point, the revelation ended as for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me and my face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself. And then in 8, 27, he says, then I, Daniel was exhausted and sick for days. Then I got up again and carried on the King's business. So this is pretty typical for Mm -hmm. him, but it does seem increased in severity, doesn't it? It does. And in this case, he sees the vision and has this deathly pallor and loss of strength. And then he hears the sound of the words that this being speaks to him. And what happens then? As soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Isn't that interesting? He twice mentions his face is on the ground. And he fell into a deep sleep. Here again, I'm brought back to Abraham. Exactly. 
Remember when God made the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15? Mm -hmm. And it tells us in verses 12 to 21 what happened. A deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and you shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And then Abraham sees God ratifying this covenant without his participation, Mm -hmm. without Abraham's participation, with a smoking pot and a torch, a flaming torch passing between the sacrificial animal parts. So, it is very similar. There's this almost a loss of consciousness, Mm -hmm. and yet there's some awareness, at least in the part of Abraham, of what's happening. But with Daniel, we're not even sure there's awareness. He's flat on his face on the ground, which really suggests he may have lost consciousness. Mm -hmm. And next week, we're going to see that even in that deep sleep, he responds to the next person who comes and touches him and speaks to him. He can hear him. And if he was unconscious, that gives us some hope knowing that we are capable of hearing from God, even in an unconscious state and responding to him. That's really important. You know, we've talked about this before, Nikki, but I think it's worth mentioning again. Many people worry about their parents or loved ones who die without anyone ever having heard an affirmation of faith, Mm -hmm. a profession of faith. And yet, you know, sometimes dementia or unconsciousness or a compromised physical status towards the end of one's life is something God uses Mm -hmm. in order to communicate himself to them in a way that doesn't need words. And we can't ever know for sure how God communicates with another person. But we see here in the case of Daniel and in the case of Abraham that God could communicate to them without being conscious to the world around them. And I think we need to remember that. And that's one of the things we can know when we understand the true nature of man, the way the Bible tells it. We are not our brains. We are not our bodies. That's part of us. But our identities, as Paul makes clear in 2 Corinthians 5, are not physical. Our identities are spiritual. And that spiritual part of ourselves can rehear and respond to the Lord Jesus, whether or not our brains are intact Mm -hmm. or fully engaged. He's not limited by our physical limitations. He can reach us. So, as we finish this first part of Daniel 10, where Daniel is responding with all the signs of fear and overwhelm and inability to comprehend what he's seeing as this appearance is before him of what seems to be a Christophany, the appearance of Christ. We can say this, if we haven't responded to the Lord Jesus the way the New Testament tells us we are to do, if we haven't realized that our sin has separated us from God, but that God sent His Son to take our sin and to bear it in His body on the cross to pay for our sin completely. He suffered the wrath of God on that cross and then was buried and rose again on the third day to break the curse of sin into which we were born. If anybody listening has not experienced that freedom of bringing their sins to the Lord Jesus and allowing His payment for their sin to cover them, we ask that you do it. And you, too, 
can have the freedom of knowing that you have eternal life and that nothing that happens to you on this earth can ever separate you from the love of God. So join us next week as we continue our way through Daniel chapter 10. And we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Former Adventist Podcast. You may email us at formeradventist at gmail.com. Former Adventist Podcast is a ministry of Life Assurance Ministries. For more information, weekly articles, videos, and a donation link, go to our website at proclamationmagazine.com. <music>